Hello, I'm Tim Marlowe, Artistic Director of the Royal Academy of Arts, and this event was part of the Festival of Ideas, an inspiring lineup of talks and debates with innovators from across the arts, brought to you from the new Benjamin West Lecture Theatre. Enjoy the podcast. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I am very pleased to welcome you to the Royal Academy Festival Ideas, um, part of the Academy's 250th birthday celebrations and a cause for celebration in itself, since we sit around and talk about things that are really interesting and don't often get talked about. Um, it's an enormous pleasure. I'm Sarah Crompton. I'm a writer and a broadcaster, and um, I write a lot about dance, and it's an enormous pleasure to be here today with Akram Khan, who um, I've watched for a very long time now, and who, in my opinion, and in the opinion of most people, um, is one of the really great dancers of our age, but also one of the most innovative and groundbreaking um, choreographers. Um, his success, I think, has been built on two things. Um, his ability as a performer of Katak dance, um, that succession of sort of dizzying, fast phrases of movement, um, is just breathtaking, just it's wonderful. But he built on that and um, went and trained as a contemporary dancer, so his style is a remarkable fusion of the two. Um, and that ability to move on from a traditional classical dance training and synthesize um, not only um, other forms of dance, but other forms of art in terms of art and um, film and um, classical ballet has been the most um, amazing, rich development of his career. He grew up in Wimbledon and he began training in Katak at the age of seven. At the age of 13, he went on tour um, with the Peter Brook Company in the uh, Mahabharata. Um, since 2002, he has run his own company, which is in itself an amazing achievement. And they have created this kind of great variety of work with a, a variety of different collaborators with musicians such as Nitin Sawney, filmmakers such as Tim Yip and Danny Boyle um, for whom he created a section of the Olympic opening ceremony and with performers such as Juliette Binoche, Sylvie Guillem and Kylie Minogue. So most recently with English National Ballet he's made a completely groundbreaking wonderful wonderful version of Giselle and we're going to try and talk about all of this in an hour. So, let me, without any further ado, let me introduce Akram Khan. So, as I say, I think you are the most collaborative of dance makers, but is there something about Katak itself that makes it a collaborative form to be to start with? I think so. I mean, um, it's very collaborative in the sense that <clears throat> uh, the way we look at Indian classical arts, music, dance and theatre, are absorbed into one. So for me, the musicians are equally the dancers and the dancers are equally the musicians. So as a dancer, classical Indian dancer, I had to study music first for two years. 
to be able to converse with the musicians. So it's, um, and it's interesting that flamenco also derives out of India. Um, so there is really this sense of collaboration between the musician and the dancer. However, it's quite rare to see, I'm kind of joking, but it's serious as well, it's quite rare to see two Indian classical dancers together, unless they're husband and wife. Right. Um, partly because the egos are so big. <laughs> um, so, you know, orchestras are Western, really. You know, to have an orchestra of tabla players together yeah. is just unheard of. Yeah. Yeah. So I always wonder if the, your instinct to reach out, to, to move into um, other forms, other worlds, comes partly from the mixture of your own background, your own influences. So you've always talked about watching Michael Jackson as an influence on your dance and wanting to be Michael Jackson. Um, and then you talk about watching Star Wars films with your mom and having, knowing the dialogue yeah. but improvising. Yeah. So do you think it is that sort of mix of different things that has, has made you want to go outwards? Yeah, I think... Um... I think uh, there's a friend of uh, a very close friend of mine, Sidi Larabishekawe, who I've uh, worked with as well, and we're the same generation. And I think this this um, generation, where um, your parents are from a different background, uh, mine being Bangladesh and then myself being born in London, already had huge clashes, and I had to navigate constantly uh, between my father's. Um, desires of what he thinks I should be listening to or, uh, you know, my mother uh, used to work at Decca Records, so um, uh, in the factory, and she, she used to get these scratched records for free, so she would bring them home, and we used to live above my dad's restaurant because he had an Indian restaurant, and so there was competition between the volume of a Bollywood <laughs> um, movie that my father was trying to put the volume higher against Tom Jones. <laughs> so I was, you know, of course we're, um, it's chaotic. You, 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 and then of course Michael Jackson. I saw Charlie Chaplin, which was a huge influence. Mm. Um, Fred Astaire, Buster Keaton. Um, the, these were these were the kind of um, uh, 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 characters that were constantly revolving around uh, my. I was absorbing all, all of this, and I think it just all came out. We call it kichuri, which is a Bangla. Bengali term, kichuri means um, when you just add everything in. Right, so, right. And then just hope for the best. Well, it's turned out rather well. We're going to now watch um, a little um, extract of your work, and you can see how wonderful this mix of influences has become for us, the audience. Thank you. 
Xenos, which closed that, is your current piece and your final solo, but I want to go back a bit to nearer the start um, and talk a little bit about um, Cash, which you made with um, Anish Kapoor. Anish Kapoor. Anish and I wondered how that collaboration came about and how you work with such a, um, you know, established, positive artist who has a strong sense of his own vision. How do you start to make a collaboration between the two of you work? Well, I mean, that's a very early work. So um, Anish and I worked again later and it was a very different relationship. Um, it's, 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 I, I owe that, that connection to Angela Bernstein, who's this wonderful human being who connected the both of us because she said, oh, who would you like to work with? I said, oh, I'd love to work with Anish. And she said, oh, I know him. <laughs> uh, maybe we connect. And so we connected and um, uh, it was a... Uh, I think the big challenge at that moment for me was to get over the fact that he's like a hero, you know. Mm -hmm. He's like the godfather of visual arts for me. And, um, and I, I couldn't quite get words out. <laughs> so um, he did this very funny thing where he would ask the question and he would wait for me. And I'm, I'm stuttering and, I'm, and he realized I was nervous, so he would answer my words back. So he had a conversation with himself. <laughs> so he say, what do you think of this, Akram? I mean, what, what, what is the vision that you have for this work? Well, I have, and he's doing both characters. <laughs> and he eased me into it. He does have this very um, uh, 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 charming and funny side. And, uh, uh, and then I settled in, and it was really, it was, um, it was really beautiful. I, I, for me, it's very important, the atmosphere that we collaborate in. Um, <clears throat> so the earth has to be um, soft enough, mm -hmm. not too hard. Um, the place that we work in, it has to be open. Um, and in a sense, even though Anish is far, far ahead of you know, anyone can imagine, um, you have to kind of become equal right. to the point where, of course, he has such confidence that he was telling me what the choreography should be right. at times. Not should be, but could be. And I was talking about the visual scenography. And that's when I started. And Nitin Sony was the composer. So it was really a three-way process. And it... it and I kind of realized that this is something I feel very comfortable in. 
but it's equally important that I make the other person feel uncomfortable the way Anish made me feel comfortable. Mm. Um, because then um, there are no um, uh, hierarchy, uh, which sometimes can become problematic. Of course, in the end, subconsciously, we know that uh, in that piece, I'm the boss, mm. if you like. Mm. I make the final say. Um, but what I, what, what I try to learn through the process of collaboration is how do I um, navigate uh, a way where they feel they are authors equally of, and then you feel like you both win. Right, right. And what, what do you as a choreographer feel you gain from it? What's the, the input, if you like, for you? Everything. I mean, uh, I gain everything because I try to work with artists who, it's like looking at this, um, you know, this jar. Um, I will pick it up and I'll start to look at the movement of it. So say that's the seed, that is the center, the focus of the piece that we're discussing or the piece that we're about to create. So it starts with that jar. And of course, Anish will be seeing the architecture, the material, Nitin will be playing it perhaps, you know, listening to the sound of it. Um, of course, I'm simplifying it. Mm. But in a way, what they do is they bring different ways of looking at the same thing. And um, I think this is perhaps a reaction uh, to my problem with history, generally, mm -hmm. of how it's written. Right, uh, right. Um, so good. So you, so, well, Xenos is a piece that um, sort of is about history. And all your pieces at some levels are that, aren't they? They look at a story that's being told from one point of view, yeah. and they ask whether it's being told from the only point of view. Yeah. Um, so what, how does that work with collaboration? Well, the thing is, I learn about... Um, movement is within dialogue. Collaboration is about um, movement. And the m movement of um, uh, ideas being thrown between each other is what, for me, is the most exciting. Mm. So, um, for me, when I work with other artists, what happens is we start to throw um, our opinions or thoughts or our first impulses of what our reactions to what, what, um, what the main idea is. And from that, that generates something very interesting. Because for me, um, the more 360 perspective I get of that object or that idea, the more I get closer to the, I feel I get closer to the truth. There are always, in a, in, you know, it's like Xenos. Um, there's the defeated and there's the winners. But stories have always been told from the winner's perspective, never from the losers. And I think this young generation is going to change that. And it's already changing that through social media. Um, we have to hear the full or the fullest story of everything to get to the truth of something. How important is it that going into something, you are on the same page as a collaborator? Because you work with Juliette Binoche, which you've talked about a bit. So first to, and, and that wasn't the easiest of encounters, was it? No, it was very challenging. It was very challenging because we didn't enter it, um, I think, uh, uh, on both sides um, with a transparency. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I think um, words, uh, I've always found words 
to be ex uh, extremely dangerous. Um, uh, our intentions, our true intentions are usually covered by words. And of course we were, she had come to see Zero Degrees and I was, of course I'm a huge fan of her work. Um, and we got into a studio and we started to kind of um, play mm -hmm. and improvise. Um, and we both, she said I would love to dance and I said I'd love to return back to theatre, to words. Right. Um, because of having worked with Peter Brook as a child, I hadn't done theatre for a long time. But then, um, uh, what did we really want? We never discussed. Right. Um, and the problem is partly because we don't really know what we want. We just have an inkling that I need to work, an instinct to work with someone. But it's very hard to put into words because the piece hasn't been done. So it's a, it's a catch-22. So was it the case that as you went on, you realised you didn't want the same thing at all? Yes. <laughs> How did that exhibit itself? Um, I think she walked out of the process three times, <laughs> and I walked out, I think, three times. Right. So in, in total, six times, yeah. We, we walked out and said, that's it, we're not doing this. <laughs> and, and the premiere was, you know, a month later, and we had a hundred shows already booked, toured, you know, for a touring, and we were just, we kept walking out, and then we just said, look, we can't keep walking out, <laughs> it's tiring. So let's just get on with it. It was a really complex process because I was also working with a, a phenomenal artist who's from a very different world. Mm -hmm. It's not just that they're storytellers in the film world, but the capacity of... The dance world is small mm -hmm. in terms of, you know... Uh, you know um, how do I say it? Uh, yeah, the, the reach of film is far bigger, yeah. you know? So it comes with its own politics and it comes with its own uh, challenges. What do you think you learned from that? Why? Because you said that you thought that that, though it was probably one of your um, more difficult projects, that it was one that you felt you're glad you did. It's the most important project, simply because um, when you confront an obstacle, uh, uh, which we did, you start to then ask yourself, what am I doing wrong? If things go smoothly, you don't really learn anything. You just go like a wave, uh, like a surfboard, you know, you just ride along. And it's great that it goes well, so long as the seeds, you know, the, the earth is there, everything is in the right atmosphere. But what I learned from her was so much more about myself. Right. Which was what? Um, that I say that I don't have an idea a lot of the times. Um, there is an openness to me in collaboration, but at the same time, I'm lying. Mm -hmm. I do feel I do know what I want. Right. Um, but I'm trying to say I don't know what I want because I want them to go on a journey with me. If I know what I want, then I'm, a then I'm gonna tell them what, why are they there? And how do they become authors of the work? So it's, it's, it's really a contradiction uh, in, within myself that I, that I face. And that's the father part of me. That's my father's um, character, the dictator part. And the, and the more collaborative is my mother. I, so, you know, I have, I have a bit of both, I think. And 
how, I mean, you have worked with people who have incredibly strong personalities, Julia being one, but you, prior to that, with zero degrees, you worked with Anthony Gormley, another royal academician, a man of very strong ideas. Um, and can you describe a bit that process? Because you've got you and Sidi Lobby and um, Nitten, Zorni yeah. again. And did Anthony come in every morning with a different idea? Yeah. That, yeah. So yeah. Can yeah, you talk about that a bit? The key, I mean, I'm happy he's not here because the key, <laughs> <laughs> um, the key to Anthony to get your way around him is his wife. <laughs> we figured that out quite late, but we figured it out. Um, you know, the thing about these giants like Anish and Anthony, it's really beautiful to see them in a studio because the way I'm with you now is different to the way I'm in a studio. The way Anish and Anthony are in, a, in front of people, there's a persona, what they're in a studio is basically like a child full of curiosity, full of wonderment, full of questions, and they're physically like children. Mm. It's so beautiful to see it. And you, so, it, so working with Anthony, there was this kind of childlike quality where, I mean, first of all, I remember the first time we were, uh, uh, he brought uh, my body. Uh, so we would describe, so it was extraordinary set. So you, he made your bodies, didn't yeah. you? Molded, yeah. Molded. Um, so I think it was the, the first time he did it. Yes. Because usually he does his body. Yeah. And so we went through a whole process where they made a dummy of me and a dummy of Larbi. And, but they made one of me first and they took, we were rehearsing in Belgium and he took it over and he was quite late. And he arrived and he was really upset because he was like, um, yeah, the Eurostar wouldn't let me get through because, you know, I, I was taking this, he covered it with um, black dustbin liner with a leg hanging out. <laughs> so Libby and I were like, well, obviously it looks really suspicious, but we couldn't say that to him. And he was, he, he was just baffled that they stopped him and they had to check it. And, and anyway, it, arrived, uh, it, meaning the object arrived, and, um, uh, and it was incredible because uh, it was, he un unveiled it and I looked at it and I didn't see myself in it. But it was an exact copy. Um, but that was my ego going, oh, I always thought I was thinner, <laughs> better. And um, so you're always disappointed. And then um, uh, I remember Larbi and Anthony came up with a plan um, because they saw that I was ignoring it. Um, and uh, I think they came up with it because they discussed something and then they left it, the version of me, on the floor, threw it on the floor. And I got really offended. <laughs> so I went and picked it up and I put him down. And then I thought, well, why was I offended? Because um, they hatched up a plan to offend me. But actually what they were trying to do is to provoke me to see myself. Mm -hmm. And so I said, look, let's give it a name. And so we called him Marka. Um, and I felt name was important because when you identify some, something and you give it a name, it suddenly takes on a character. Mm. And Marka is in reverse of Akram. Right. And so Larbi had his name as well. But, uh, and I remember after that, uh, I, I, I bonded with it and Anthony was very excited about it. And then when we came back to London, he started bringing these objects in. But I knew that, I knew, um, but pretended not to know, that um, my instinct said, let our bodies speak. 
And these two dummies are extraordinarily powerful. Mm. But Anthony kept, not but, he started introducing stuff. Like he started bringing things in while we were rehearsing or doing a run. <laughs> like he would stop the rehearsal. And there was actually an audience um, that we had invited to watch an entire run. And he would, he would come in with these options and go, oh, Hello, <laughs> what's going on here? He has this wonderful, beautiful kind of curiosity, like a childlike quality. And um, I thought, no, we gotta, get, we gotta get all this stuff out. Because already what he's, just by talking to him, um, it was already creating the dramaturgy for the show. He was the dramaturg in a way. Right. And it was, it was extraordinary, that show. I mean, I, 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 I think I've loved all your work, but I think it was just so incredibly sort of moving having your bodies and they and that interaction. And what interested me when I saw it was that, which is the sort of key of collaboration, is you can't imagine the show without those bodies, but you have to go into the process without that idea. Yeah. So how, how, is it a long process of negotiating the conversation? And do you ever pull out? Um, I'm, uh, I'm quicker now. That process is quicker, where I know exactly, like Tim Yip is a visual sonographer who did Dish until the Lions, Giselle. Um, and uh, with him, he proposes 100 ideas before I've even said what it's about. <laughs> So you're, I, that's a whole different way of <laughs> you know, collaborating. And um, uh, I said, no, I would start by saying, so I have this idea. And he's like, okay, I have an idea. And then he draws this and then he's drawn, and then suddenly he's come up with. And so um, perhaps uh, through that exercise, I've become quicker at deciding what it is, but it is a long process. I tried, we try to keep it open as much as possible. Mm to commit as last minute as possible. And that last minute is when your technical director calls you and says, if we don't build this thing, <laughs> if you don't commit to something and we don't build it, you're not gonna have it on stage. Right. Until that That's quite late. <laughs> That's pretty late, yeah. But like with English National Ballet, this kind of scenography, you need to build it a year, you need to start planning it a year before. So my, perhaps through that, through the bigger projects and the bigger sonography, I have to decide early on, and I hate doing it, but I have to do it, mm. because there is a realistic, there's a practicality about it, um, a logistic thing that I have to agree to. Um, otherwise, you're not gonna have the set. Yeah. So, it, those, I mean, that's in terms of, you know, the different views, but you've also been unusual in working in different fields. So, um, and with these kind of rather, you're very good at working with lots of remarkable women, really. So um, how did you come to work with Sylvie Guillaume? How did that come about? Because she was really, at the time you first encountered each other, she was really famous as a classical ballerina. She was, you know, a great classical ballerina. She'd started to do some contemporary work. But when you make Sacred Monsters with her, it's a new world for both of you. You've got a classical dancer with you for the first time, and she is in a completely different creative space. How did, how did that come about, and how did that? Um, she was, um, again, she's extremely, like, and she's very curious. She has a hundred questions as opposed to one. So she was following, apparently, she was following my work 
for a while, and I was quite unknown then. But she had heard that there was this young choreographer at the time <laughs> um, <laughs> performing, and um, the language, what he's creating, is interesting. So she came and saw me several times at the South Bank. And then my producer, actually, who I have to say, Farooq Chaudhry, is my first collaborator. Right. He was the first collaborator. We started the company together. Mm. It was through dialogue that the company came about. So um, he said to me after the show, he goes, oh, Sylvie's here. Oh my God, she's amazing. You got to, you got, um, and she's, she's waiting in the, in, in the front, the foyer. And I said, Sylvie who? And she said, Sylvie Guillen. And I was like, oh my God, you know, I studied her, you know, of course, um, through Matt Sachs' work and uh, university. And so I went and it was really beautiful because um, she was very nervous. <laughs> And, she, and I said, oh, hi, uh, Sylvie, thank you so much for coming. I'm such a big fan. And she goes, and I said, oh, um, how, how do you feel uh, what you saw? Um, you, when you're younger, you have a lot more arrogance. So I was saying, like, yeah, yeah how did you feel about the show, you know? <laughs> and she said, oh, I, I feel nervous. I, I feel like there's still so much I have to learn. Mm -hmm. And it immediately put me in my place, and I thought, that's an artist. She's not a dancer, she's an artist. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, she won me at that moment. And then we said, okay, so let's do something together. And we came to do something together. And um, uh, it was fascinating working with her because she has an opinion about everything. Yeah. And of course, at times I'm like, just do the dance. <laughs> <laughs> just for once, do the dance. But she would question the lights, she would question the sound, and she would question the costume. She would question my dramaturgy, um, but she can because she has absolute intelligence about all those aspects. Mm -hmm. She is not perhaps a choreographer or a director. Maybe she is, but as far as she says, she's not a choreographer director. But she, has, she is very well versed with, she has a very clear taste and she's also got an open taste um, and uh, she has an instinct, an amazing instinct. It's about instinct, really. And mm. she, has, she has an instinct about, should this light be? So she, she was constantly questioning me uh, and questioning everything. And I found that fascinating. And I, I learned so much from her in that way. And did, I mean, you have recently moved more into classical ballet. Did, so was working with Sylvia a sort of transitional thing in terms of your thinking about classical no, ballet? No, no, no. Uh, somebody asked me that recently and I said, the thing is, when you work with Sylvie, it's not like working with classical ballet dancers. Uh, Sylvie is Sylvie. <laughs> there is no experience like it. And she's definitely not a bridge. Um, she is Sylvie. She's a phenomenon. And so um, uh, when I came to, the first time I worked with a ballet company was really English National Ballet. Right. Um, until that point, um, I was saying always no um, to the ballet companies approaching me. But Tamara has a way. She's extraordinarily intelligent. And she said, don't worry, just come in, you know, maybe try something. And uh, I was saying, no, I don't. I was trying to find excuses why not to do it. Um, and it's because I don't know enough about it. I don't know enough about the systems and the architecture that allows the ballet company to work. I only knew Sylvie as a single per performer. So I was always afraid of this big number of dancers. Um, but I had a bit of a taste of it. 
um, when I did the Olympic opening, which was 50, but still they were not classical. Right. Um, but when I came in, Damar eventually got me in and, and I started to um, try some stuff and I realized there was this hunger there. That was my worry, that they wouldn't feel hungry for it. Right. I don't know why I had this perception, but anyway. Um, and there was this hunger there and immediately, and Tamara being there, and the immediately um, ideas started to flow and collaboration started to happen. And I knew that I couldn't create the work. I could, I could create the work where the piece, um, the vocabulary and the piece um, would be very mine, my aesthetic or my vocabulary. Usually it's made of my body and contemporary dancers' bodies. Um, but I didn't want it to feel like where somebody would come to me or I would come to myself and say, well, the classical dancers did it really, did well, but your dancers would have yes. done it better. Yes. So I knew I had to meet their bodies. Mm. And that was the first taste of going, not into their bodies, but meeting them halfway. And that was very magical for me because I realized that they can extend what I think into a much, much more wider place. In what way can they do that? Because the first piece you make with them is um, Dust, which is in the Less We Forget program, which is actually on its set as well as this week, which is uh, a ballet about the First World War. Yeah. How, so what, what was the thing that it unlocked in you? <coughs> well, Katak, which I've trained in, and contemporary to a certain extent, I did mostly Graham, um, is going to the earth. It's really strongly related to the earth. Um, ballet is to the air. Um, and I always dreamt of being, um, I always had stupid dreams, so I always dreamt of being a basketball player. But I couldn't jump to save my life. <laughs> so I remember seeing Nureyev and Brishnikov and just being in awe of the space ben beneath, um, in between the earth and their there. bodies. <laughs> And it was extremely lyrical. I've always wanted to fly because my mother um, missed home a lot. So she told me a, stories, a lot of stories uh, about her home and she wished she could fly back home. She just wished she could fly. And so I always dreamt of flying. And so, of course, Michael Jordan, yeah. basketball. So um, what I discovered was that they could, these ballet dancers could take the material and take it away from the earth. And especially even, I tested it a little bit without point, but on releve, in dust. And in Giselle, we went on to point. And that was, so, so floating higher than, because my intention is always to go to the ground. And I think it's because, I don't know if it's because I'm Bangladeshi or whatever, that, you know, any moment I can sit down, I'll do it. <laughs> to stand is, is, I always wanted to be a doubler player too. <laughs> Because you just have to move your fingers. Yeah. <laughs> so I was determined to be a double player. Dancing is hard. Yeah. You know, you have to Lots get up and... Yeah. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so for me, the idea of these ballet dancers um, going on point and taking and elevating the material, um, extended the material in a way that I could never do with contemporary dancers. And, but, I mean, you made the point that you didn't just go into classical ballet and into a classical ballet company, but you went into the most famous classical ballet. So you, um, you said, I'm going to remake Giselle. No, and no, I didn't. 
But okay, so what happened? How did it happen? Um, there were <laughs> two or three companies within the same few months called me and said, you should do Giselle. I'd love you to do Giselle. And Tamara was one of them. And of course, I would want to work with Tamara. Not that the other companies were not great, but um, I already had a very close trust with Tamara. Mm -hmm. I love her vision. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, she's uh, Espanol, you know. Um, um, uh, her money uh, is uh, money. Her mouth is where, the, you know, she, she, she delivers. <laughs> she delivers. Um, and so I trust her immensely. And so when, when Giselle was, I was really confused. Why did they ask did, yeah. Giselle? I was like, no, a full length piece, no. And Giselle is probably the most loved ballet in this country. So that comes with its own patronage and its mm -hmm. own pressure. Um, and then I saw the second act. And then I called, not Tamara, but somebody else, another director up who had asked me to do Giselle. I said, why did you want me to do Giselle? Why? And she said, because of the second act. I said, what is it in the second act? Because I have an idea, but what is it? And I said, it's the spiritual aspect. Mm. It's a thing that you cannot put into words, but it's that spirit that I saw in your dance and in your work that I thought would lend itself to the second act. Um, and I said, what about the first act? And he said, well, Whatever, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> but the second act, and then I asked um, uh, Tamara and she said the same. And then I asked another director and then I thought, and slowly I, I, I grew confident to go, okay, let's reimagine reimagine Giselle. And then there was a real shock because then I did my homework and saw Matt Sachs' version. Mm. And then I went, well, how do you beat that? It's just seminal. Mm. It's just an incredible work of art, even to the point of today when I saw it, you know, just a few years ago, I was like, it was made so long ago, but it's still so strong. Um, so I had to really take that out of my system. Um, but it was really, I, it's like steps. I don't jump right. straight in. It's a long, long process of um, courting. <laughs> yes, maybe, maybe not. But let's yeah. talk about it. And then we do that for a year. And so how did working with a big company change? You then have come out to make your last solo show. Um, again, with a, a huge team of collaborators. How did... How did that alter how you saw your own work and doing a solo show? How was it to come back to a solo show having worked with a big company? I think it was the most difficult process, this last solo, Xenos. Not for the subject, not emotionally or psychologically, that I was really, um, really into, but my body. Having worked with, you know, dancers like Tamara, James, Rita, Caesar, my God, uh, you know, Tour de Force, um, uh, and uh, Alina, yeah, who is funny, is just another artist. Mm. Um, it was really, really lonely to come back to my body. Mm. And um, I felt very isolated, very alone, but I had this amazing tribe of collaborators who I've worked with for a long time. Ruth Little, my dramaturg, um, Maven Koo, my rehearsal director, um, Michael Hulls, lighting designer, Jordan Tannehill, who was the first time I'm working with the writer. But they were very supportive. I mean, there were mornings I was not coming in, but I was due at nine o'clock. And it was the first time where my wife calls up, Maven, my rehearsal director, and says, he's still asleep, um, and it's 12 o'clock and all the collaborators are waiting. That's never happened before. So I, I think I was facing some sort of depression or 
uh, anxiety and I didn't, I, I was, and you know, I think, so working on Giselle was so inspire, inspiring because I liberated myself from my body. I was dancing through their body. Yeah. And that was the first time it's ever happened. Um, and with my body, there's an e a strong ego um, because predominantly I'm a soloist. So even when I make group work, I'm still a soloist. Yeah. And I, it's very hard to get rid of that. But in Giselle, it broke that. Yeah. It really did. And to go back to the body, um, but a more older body, a more slower body. You know, the reason I move fast, or I used to move fast, is because I never liked my own dancing. <laughs> so I felt, uh, my guru told me this, this was his, so I didn't feel, he said, the reason why you move so fast is because you don't want people to see you. <laughs> so if I move fast enough, they wouldn't see my flaws. Um, and I think that's true. Um, and so when I came to doing this solo, I realized I can't move as fast and I don't have the same stamina. Mm -hmm. And so from Dish, which was in 2011, my first full-length solo, and the second solo was this last solo, Xenos. I'm 43 now. Right. Um, a lot had changed in my body. Um, and that had a huge psychological, emotional impact. Yeah. So it was a really traumatic uh, process. And, well, it, it doesn't show when you're on stage. It has to be said that, I mean, you still look amazing, and it is amazing. But also, I was fascinated that one of your collaborators, the designer, yeah. made it that much harder for you by designing. A, a, it's like a... Well, it's a sheer hill, really, that <laughs> Akram runs up. And so she, she, I thought it was so interesting, faced with a man who was saying, I don't want to come to rehearsals because I feel my body's about to betray me. She designed a sheer thing for him to run up and down for an hour and a half. So how did that happen? I mean, that's a kind of... It was really my fault because she proposed some ideas and I really liked that one. And it reminded me of, the way she drew it was like a tongue. Yeah. And it just reminded me of Kali's tongue, you know, in this Indian goddess's tongue, uh, and it's like death is coming, you know? Um, and of course, it reminded me of Trench, and the idea seemed amazing. When it arrived, and I tried to climb up it, I kept falling, and I was going, this is such a bad idea. <laughs> um, and all throughout the process, I was trying to convince her that I don't, I think this is not a good idea. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to use philosophical approach, psychological approach, every approach I tried, She's German, so she's so stubborn. <laughs> she was like, no, Akram. And I'm grateful to her for being stubborn, but she's, she said, no, Akram. I, what I love, she was saying, is when you stop being the dancer, mm -hmm. which means your technique cannot hold out any longer because those soldiers who were there, um, first and foremost, they were completely, continuously extremely exhausted. And the truth of the body is important, and that has to be labor work. So if I made it easy for you, then you would illustrate it. Mm, yeah. And of course, uh, you know, I still tried to find ways out of it, and it didn't <laughs> happen, and there we are in the premiere. And then um, my mother came and said, oh, that was a really smart decision, Akram. Um, that you chose this set, and I, I, I said, yeah, it was my idea. <laughs> <laughs> it was my idea. 
Um, I'm going to come to you for your questions in just a moment, but I want just to ask uh, one last question, which is more general, really, that it seems to me that one of the effects of all of your choices um, and the work you've made, including um, the Olympic opening ceremony, um, and everything you're doing now is this opening up of dance. So I think when, in 2002, dance was seen as kind of quite a small world, really, and quite exclusive and quite rarefied. And particularly contemporary dance. Particularly yeah. contemporary dance, and it had a small audience. And you have been very much at the forefront, I think, of this, this kind of opening up dance and contemporary dance. And bringing it to a large audience. I mean, still not as big as film, but much larger. I mean, why have you wanted as an artist to make dance more accessible in that way? I was in a taxi um, going to the Olympic opening rehearsal uh, and the taxi driver said to me, um, uh, um, uh, what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm a choreographer. And he goes, oh, you're working at the Olympics? I said, yeah, yeah. And he said, um, oh, uh, what kind of, what, what kind of, what chore you what? And I said, <laughs> I make movement and I make shapes and uh, tell stories through it. And he said, uh, oh, right, right. What kind of dance is it then? And I said, contemporary dance. And he went silent. <laughs> and there was an awkward silence. And then he said, and then he realized what he wanted to say. And he said, it's the dance that you don't get. I remember. <laughs> um, and that really struck me. Mm. And I thought, how do I not make dance just accessible, but universal? Mm. Where the taxi driver could connect with what I'm doing. Um, because I grew up in this, not grew up, but when I went to contemporary dance, there was this real hierarchy, um, snobbishness, where it was exclusive to art is exclusive so um, when I worked with Larbi that broke that system and they made the, that community made Larbi and me feel um, that we were now cheap mm. and yet for me zero degrees is one of the most important pieces that I feel both of us have done one of them and um, and they just because because we were so inspired by Bruce Lee and it's, it's hinted in there, for me it's about craft. Mm. Um, and so what I'm trying to say is uh, uh, there's a difference between, um, uh, for example, success and excellence. Um, but uh, for me it's about ex excellence, but it's also about that, the craft, but it's also about trying to open it up um, to get to the core of it, because really what I'm trying to do with Ruth and the team is to talk about human stories, mm. really. And that can, a taxi driver can relate to that. You don't need that knowledge um, of that contemporaryness. And so the backlash of those contemporary um, world when Larbi and I broke out with Zero Degrees was, I think, the beginning of me going, hang on, um, why isn't Michael Jackson important? Why is he, just because he's commercial doesn't make him any less uh, skillful. Yeah. And so I started to, yeah. Yeah, so the excellence of it, which of course you've done. And that's important, I feel. I think that's a perfect moment to finish unless there are thousands of questions. Um, so I think that's a lovely thought to finish with. Thank you, Sarah.
So thank you very much, Ekim Khan. Thank you Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, have a look at what else is coming up in our brand new lecture theatre at roy.ac forward slash what's on.